as long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Uh, Davis Rankin, would you do me the favor of introducing our next guest? Well, I'm online, and um, I thought I knew a little. Well, I did know. I do know a little bit, but boy, there's a lot more to learn of fascination uh, about a um, somebody who once was super, super important and may rise to be uh, super, super important again. I'm talking about a guy named Jose Tomas Canales. He was a state representative. He was representing Brownsville in the state legislature. He was the only Mexican American. Serving at the time, he served one term, and I don't know, but I think our guest might know, had there been any Mexican-Americans before that? And then what was the next after J.T. Canales? J.T. is how they know him after that, and his name is associated with, an, with a, a cleanup or an attempt to clean up, certainly, the uh, Texas Rangers back back in the day. Terry Canales is his relative. You are – he he was your great, great uncle. Nephew. Is that right? Say that again? I, he, my grandfather uh, and him were brothers. Okay, so he's your great uncle. uncle. I guess her great uncle. Uh, if he were to come back, Terry, uh, you're in the legislature. Uh, you would he would he be proud of you? I, I would hope so. Uh, but you know, he he led a, uh, a a very difficult life and a very difficult time. And I know you said he'd served one, and I believe that he served over a period of five terms, if I'm yeah. not mistaken. Yeah, but I was wrong uh, about I know it was more yeah. than one. Yeah, it says here he served 2000 and, uh, 1905 to 1907 and uh, to 1911. Uh, he left, came back in 1917, and left in 1921. It was his work to reform or what right to reform the texas rangers let me back up i'm getting ahead of myself in my excitement uh, i didn't realize that this was the anniversary of jt canales a singular figure in texas history uh but uh, terry canales tweeted out that was it sunday was his anniversary of his birth i believe that's it uh and and so in in a lot of the work he did is, is truly remarkable, and it's really a shame that it's not included in, in Texas history books, and it's, I think it's conspicuously left out. What is it um, What is it he did? What do you want people to, to remember about him? Well, he was fearless. Um, so at a time when um, Texas was in a dark period uh, from around 1915 to 1919, the Rangers, uh, Texas Rangers, and other vigilantes killed possibly thousands of Mexican-Americans. Um, you know, there's questions of whether some were bandits stirring up trouble, but what there is evidence of, conclusive evidence, is the great majority of them were just innocent victims. Uh, one, one of such massacre occurred here in South Texas. Um, it's called La Matanza, and you can ask children about it today. They've got no idea. Uh, we actually have to put up a historical historical yeah. marker right there outside of uh, getting into Cameron County 
and the others are Porvenir, where they massacred an entire town. Um, yeah, strung them up and and uh, and shot them, and in rare form. And the reality is, uh, JT stood up. He was the only Hispanic, and he in uh at at a great personal um, cost. You know, it's my understanding in the books I've read that Lyndon Baines Johnson's father was a dear friend of his, and they would form a human shield uh, to keep him from getting shot. Uh, the ranger that's very famous named Frank Hamer, who's famous for shooting Bonnie and Clyde, uh, mm-hmm. signed out a sworn affidavit that he was going to kill him. Um, and so, um, <laughs> Terry, you don't, you don't swear out an affidavit that you're going to kill somebody, commit a murder. Sworn affidavit, sworn affidavit that if he, if he didn't, that he was going to kill him. And so yeah, Frank yeah. Hamer was, is it was one of the most racist, uh, bigots that existed uh he would menace he would outside restaurant windows and tap his pistol on the glass at jt uh and so and and he lived in a time when uh you know this he was the only mexican-american in the house of representatives and the speaker would address him as the greaser from brownsville or the spick from the rio grande valley that's how they would address him and so to be able to stand up in the face of that kind of racism to hold your head up high and to challenge law enforcement uh, which at that time, you know, the Rangers are very, very, very different from what uh, today, from yes. what way they were then. But that's in large part because of the efforts of J.T. Canales. Um, and he held uh, hearings in the House that generated almost 1,700 pages worth of testimony, 80-some-odd witnesses. And those hearings were so gruesome and so grotesque that they were sealed for 30-some-odd years. You couldn't even get to them. Whoa. Uh, recent, go ahead. No, no, I was going, whoa, I, where, where can we get a yeah, copy? So, yeah, I can get to get them for you, but the Bob Bullock Museum just recently, uh, in the last couple of years, held a huge exhibit, uh, and he was one of the focal points, and they're actually called the Canales Hearings. Uh, he was my grandfather's brother, but he was uh, got a law degree from the University of Michigan. He was well-spoken mm-hmm. and came from an affluent family in South Texas, and, and, and that gained him some access, but it sure as hell didn't... Uh, fix the fact he was Mexican-American in a time when uh, that was not the thing to be. Terry Canales is, uh, that that's the voice of Terry Canales. He is a lawyer, of course, and a state representative um, headquartered, I guess I would say, in the Edinburgh area, but that's, um, but he's a state representative. He's also chairman of the House Transportation Committee, and we're crossing fingers and lighting candles that the Speaker of the House will reappoint him, so we can get well, some road work. Well, on the line, uh, <laughs> Representative Canales, why, uh, can you give us uh, uh, some insight what you're looking forward to for the the session this time around? What are y'all working uh, on? You know, we've got we've got a whole lot of money, and I'm hoping that I can um, maneuver our way into making sure that we've got water security. You know, one of our biggest deals yeah. in South Texas is yeah. uh, we have soar- soaring heat, uh, and we have an exploding population, and um, you know, in the last several years, it's been brought to my attention. We're 30 or 40 days out from not having water, uh, and, and meeting with people down here that know what water, they tell us that we rely on extreme weather events. Well, that's a euphemism for luck. So we rely on yeah. luck for water. And, uh, one of these days we need to make sure our luck doesn't run out. We create our own luck by creating alternative, uh, sources of, of, um, getting drinking water to our people. And we need to make sure that that happens. And this is a great opportunity with this kind of budget surplus to make those investments in that infrastructure. Is your interest in uh, addressing water needs? Um, are, there, are there enough others up there who feel the same way to get something done? 
you know, the Speaker of the House actually passed uh, some of the most groundbreaking legislation dealing with water security in Texas uh, and the um, the people that monitor that. And so we've created a fund and we're, we've spent most of the money that we put in there, a couple billion dollars. And so uh, I think the Speaker's back on track and he wants to continue that battle, you know, because the reality is that the the fight or the, the concerns that we have in South Texas are shared throughout the state. Texas is, is, is not getting, is not getting any more water. And so we've seen no. some of the most severe droughts. And then with people moving here from California by the thousands, um, they're not bringing their water with them. Can you give us an idea? Can you give us an idea of the types of things that people have on their wish list for that uh, budget surplus? Oh yeah, you know one, some of the biggest stuff is infrastructure, but in and for uh, rural parts of of Texas, rural hospitals are closing down uh, in droves uh, and and leaving people without actual adequate health care. Mm-hmm. So making sure that our rural Texans have health care, uh, education, uh, making sure if that this, one of the biggest things, and you hear it, and I preach it, and if I didn't fight for lower property taxes, my wife would divorce me. Uh, is that Texas used to Put pony up about 65% of the Texas education budget. And over the years, it's dwindled, and that leaves the burden on, on taxpayers. And so that's why your property taxes are higher. And so what we need to fight are these crazy appraisals. You know, I have I had some properties that tripled in value. Uh, hell, I'll sell it to the appraisal district if they want to pay, <laughs> you know, want to tell me it's worth that. Come buy it. But the reality is we're taxing people out of houses and homes, and that's that's not what the American dream's about. You know, we've got to the point where taxes is one thing. It's got to be like uh, it's, it's a high rent, and if you don't pay it, you're getting out, and, it, and, it's, and it's devastating yeah. people. So um, using some of that money for some tax relief would be great, and, and I mean real Texans, not corporations, uh, homeowners, uh, not businesses. Um, you know, we need to we need to help people, and 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 it's gotten to the point where people are in dire straits because the taxes and 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 especially in this county, as if they're at, they're out of hand. We're we're talking with our uh, representative for the Texas House, Terry Canales, District Forty, your guest on your nine five six drive home. What would be a good? What's like the goal reduction? You think that the legislator is shooting for for that? You know, there's everybody's got a number. Uh, I, 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 there's so many things tossed around that I'd hate to say something publicly and, and get, you know, uh, crucified for, for telling you something's not true. What I can tell you is that there's a lot of us that want meaningful change. And, and not only for, for our constituents, but ourselves. We're, we live here and we feel it. And, and, and this thing is not unique to, to Hidalgo County or to South Texas. Uh, the reality is Texas uh, appraisals and, and tax and Tax, property tax bills are outrageous. Uh, one of the right. other things that you notice, I don't know if you've paid attention, but your electric bill is soaring. Uh, these delivery oh, fees yeah. that AEP and these guys are charging on top, you're, you're now at 18 plus cents a kilowatt hour, uh, but businesses are, you know, 30, 40% lower. And so there needs to be parity. I understand helping businesses with their electric rates, but also homeowners need some, some breaks. And so Preach. we need to make sure that, that we're not letting people gouge our people. Yeah, I know. I, I <laughs> we we spend enough time, you know, sleeping at the office anyway, so that it might work out. It might balance yeah. itself out in that favor. But as uh, I'm sorry for putting you on the spot on the on the property tax thing. I I just don't want to come out of this being like point zero zero one percent and then being like, hey, we did something. Yeah. So uh, thanks thanks a lot for breaking everything Thank down you, for uh, us, uh, uh, Representative Canales. 
That's uh, Terry Canales from District 40 joining us on News Talk 710 KURV, your 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radiopotomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710-KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710-KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. Our Drive Home guest, Davey Dew. Take it away. Please introduce him. Uh, this just in, uh, the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, announced he's filed a lawsuit says here, defending Texans from the Biden administration's unlawful rule defining, quote, waters of the United States. Hitherto, from now on, we refer to this, Zach, as WOTUS, uh, which would assert federal control over Texas land under the WOTUS rule, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency and the U.S. Department of Army, I guess that'd be our um, engineers, are seeking to grow federal administrative power by expanding the limits of their jurisdiction far beyond what Congress delegated to them. By design, Congress expressly limited their jurisdiction to, quote, navigable waters. So you ask yourself, listener, what in the devil is, why do we care about this? Because uh, I think it has the potential to to affect us. Guy who's going to be watching this, and he's going to explain it to us as well, is Jay Bragg, Commodity and Regulatory Activities Associate Director for the Texas Farm Bureau. So, um, so Mr. Bragg, tell us all about it. What is this, and why should local folks be concerned? Well, f- first of all, I, thank you for having me on. And, sure. and before we get too deep into the conversation, I, I wanted to start it off by saying, you know, clean water is something that farmers and ranchers care de- very deeply about. It's essential to life and, and everything that we do on the farm, you know, from crops to livestock to, to personal mm-hmm. and household use. And, you know, for generations, yep. farmers and ranchers have been working to improve their water conservation practices, uh, to minimize their, their runoff and erosion, and uh, to overall become better stewards of the land. Uh, and, you know, we're not opposed to, to reasonable and, and rational regulations. Uh, but when things like this come along, you know, it greatly expands regulatory, the, the federal regulatory authority and, and uh, really uh, provides uh, uh, federal reg- regulators the ability to, mm-hmm. to uh, regulate any place where water collects and flows, even if there's not water there most of the time. Uh, under this, uh, this new rule, you could consider that a, a water uh, of the United States. It says um, that it would subject, this is the press con- press release, that the rule, and it's, I'm guessing this is just a rule, not a law, or it's, a, it's rules subject to or implementing the law, seeks to subject land with isolated wetlands, ephemeral streams, and off-channel reservoirs to an expensive and burdensome federal permitting process. Well, let, let me run this by you. We talked about it earlier. Uh, the, the feds can... Uh, assert 
uh, assert control or uh, some control over, say, the Nueces River or certainly the Rio Grande River, since it's a, between two countries. But this this rule goes beyond that. It's asserting jurisdiction over those things which feed into the Rio Grande River. And I, unless they've changed it, the last time I looked at this many years ago, it was also the things that feed into the tributaries and ponds that that it rains real heavy, your water ponds up on your land, there's certain control over that, even even if it's just episodic. Is all that still true? It is, and just to give a little bit of background, so the Clean Water Act was passed in 1972, and it gave, you know, really broad authorities to regulate water, and in the Clean Water Act, it talks about navigable waters. Mm-hmm. And that's what the the, uh, the lawsuit that the state of Texas has filed uh, refers to. Now, uh, um, the problem is in the Clean Water Act, navigable waters are not, they're defined as a water of the United States. And that term itself is not defined at all in the Clean Water Act, uh, which has really allowed these agencies to go through and, and uh, look at uh, that definition very expansively and really create their own. Now, there have been some federal lawsuits that have been filed that, that uh, basically they've gone all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, the most recent one was in 2003, uh, in what's known as the Rapanos case. And, and in that case, uh, there were four justices that said that, you know, federal power was not unlimited. And in fact, navigable waters meant navigable waters, which, you know, if you and I are thinking about that, you can float a boat on it, right? Uh, four of the justices uh, took the complete opposite stance, and they said, well, when they said waters of the United States and the Clean Water Act, they meant all waters everywhere in the United States. And, and then we had one justice, uh, Justice Kennedy, uh, that said that, uh, you know, yes, the federal jurisdiction is limited, but it's to anything that has a significant connection or significant nexus no. to it's, a navigable water. What's and significant that's really where nexus? this new rule goes through and, and, and uh, tries to make those connections. Uh, the difference being that, you know, if you go through and you say that any connection is a significant connection, uh, that gives you very expansive authorities. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, we're talking with uh, Jay Bragg. He is with the Texas Farm Bureau uh, up in up in Waco. He is uh, in their, uh, what do they call him here, the commodity and regulatory staff. Uh, and believe it or not, this regulatory stuff can be pretty darn sexy uh, as they assert control through the waters of the United States, which you otherwise would not hear about if you weren't listening to 710 KORV. But it would affect us here in the Valley and in South Texas potentially. Um, do you know if the farm, I guess this would not be your decision, is the Farm Bureau going to fight it, going to be a File its own lawsuit, try to be a party to the Paxton lawsuit. Um, do you know what, what's going to happen? You know, we're very appreciative that the state of Texas has gone through and taken action. I can't talk specifically about what we're going to do on this case yet, but uh, I will say in, in 2015, uh, we were one of the State Farm Bureaus that filed a lawsuit against uh, EPA uh, to block implementation of uh, a similar rule. Uh, that, regula- or that, that rule was blocked. And in fact, the, the Trump administration uh, adopted rules in 2020 that really reined in uh, the agency's uh, mm-hmm. uh, regulatory scope. Uh, it it kind of put in place 
uh, yeah. very strong uh, language that talks about the, the limiting of federal authorities and really gave farmers and ranchers some, uh, some uh, peace of mind that the activities that they've been doing every day yeah. weren't all of a sudden in violation of the Clean Water Act. And, you know, I, again, I can't speak to what we're going to do on this case yet, but uh, we have taken action before. Um, how would people, if, if they want to find out if they're at risk, what do they do? Who do they call? You know, the, based on the way this new rule reads, uh, the only way really to know is, uh, and again, it became effective today, would be mm -hmm. to call the, uh, the Army Corps of Engineers or, or, and request a, what's known as a jurisdictional determination. And really every, every water would be, a, or every water feature, and I use that term very loosely because it, it could mean, you know, any dry arroyo, any drainage ditch, uh, that connects to something downstream that, that looks like uh, a river, yeah. uh, you, you'd have to have them come out and, and tell you one way or the other. And that's oh. certainly one of our concerns. And, and you know, when sure. uh, I, I made a comment to the Corps of Engineers at one point, you know, do you want thirty or 40,000 people calling in tomorrow and asking if, uh, <laughs> if their property is or is not a water? Uh, I mean, it's Jay, pretty ridiculous. Jay Bragg, troublemaker, is that what you're saying? That, Sometimes it sounds that way. Uh, thank you very much for, for talking about it. I feel like we're going to be talking with you again. Uh, thank you very much, Jay Bragg with the Texas Farm Bureau. And you, Mr. Ms. Listener, listening to 17 KRV, the 956 Drive Home. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. News Talk 710 KURV. When news breaks, we break in. Breaking news. Stay alert and listen to the weather forecast. We need to be aware and alert to what's going on. Breaking news means it's happening now. And we mean now. Breaking news underway right now. Breaking news on News Talk 710 KURV means we're bringing you the news as it happens. In this particular instance, we are in receipt of information. When news breaks, we'll break in. Count on News Talk 710 KURV. KURV.com. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Zach. There's a new law on ATF, oh, sorry, a new ATF rule on arm braces. That's what we're talking about here today with Edwin Walker from U.S. Law Shield, our guest on your 956 Drive Home. So, what are stabilizing braces, why is it important, and why did this become such a big deal? Well, it's kind of interesting that it did become a big deal because the, the, the stabilizing brace is really quite an innocent and helpful accessory to those who need it. So for your listeners, very quickly, um, the AR platform, which most people are familiar with the AR platform rifle, a lot of people call them AR-15s, um, they're, you know, they, they've been around for over 60 years. It's the most popular platform for a sporting rifle. Well, the AR receiver can also be configured as a pistol. And as a pistol, you know, it, it looks a lot, it looks just like a smaller AR-15. Um, well, the ATF or the, the National Firearms Act has, has long regulated, uh, short barreled firearms that can be fired from the shoulder. 
and that they somehow they just don't like, you know, they, they, the Congress doesn't like short-barreled rifles, short-barreled shotguns. And a stabilizing brace is a device that's used to attach to a short-barreled, uh, that's used to attach to a pistol, an air pistol, which allows the user to have a little more stability. And it was actually, bent, it was actually developed to benefit disabled uh, people, mostly disabled veterans, who would have trouble holding an AR pistol, but for the stabilizing brace, which is a which is a, a, a small device that simply wraps around the wrist or the forearm that helps an individual aim an AR-style pistol. Well, when these got developed back in the, around 2010, uh, it kind of looks like a stock. And if you put a stock on an AR pistol, that is, in fact, a short-barreled rifle. You're not allowed to have it. You have to register it with the... Uh, ATF, and you have to pay a tax stamp, a tax to get a stamp, uh, $200. Well, so the ATF over the last 12 years has gone back and forth about, is the, does this device make a pistol into a short-barreled rifle? Does it not? And finally, the ATF came, you know, looked at the issue and came up with a rule that they released on Friday that said, yes, in fact, attaching a stabilizing brace uh, to a AR platform pistol, which does not have to be registered, requires then for it to be registered as a short-barreled rifle, pay the tax, uh, and you can only possess it if you are in possession of this tax stamp. And so it's very, very controversial because what they've done is they've taken something that has been legal for over 10 years. Millions of people have these stabilizing braces on their AR platform rifles and and. Subsequently, they've been developed for other platforms. They have them, I'm sorry, on their air platform pistols. They have them on other pistols. And now, suddenly, uh, these individuals are going to be felons unless they register every single arm-braced pistol that they have with the ATF. Wow. So that's what, so basically what it is, is it's, it's ex post factoing, making a legal, which they've already done this with bump stocks, which the fifth circuit, uh, recently overruled the ATF's ability to declare that a bump stock is a machine gun. So that'll be headed to the Supreme court for a final ruling. We hope that the Supreme court again will say that the ATF exceeded their authority in determining that a bump stock is actually a, in fact, a machine gun. Uh, but the ATF has done the exact same thing with a stabilizing brace. They've taken a device that is inanimate, really, it's just simply an accessory, and they have said that if you have a pistol that is equipped with this accessory, it is in fact a short-barreled rifle which must be registered, otherwise you are a felon. So it's taken millions of Americans and turned them into felons unless they register it during the amnesty period, which I believe is three months. We're talking to Edwin Walker from U.S. Law Shield. He's talking about the stabilizing braces, the new ruling that was put out by the ATF and how that whole thing's going to work. So what are our options for those out there that fall under these criteria? Okay, for, for individuals who have stabilizing braces, either, either the wraparound kind or the blade kind, in which if you have them, you'll know what I'm talking about. So if you have a stabilizing brace, your option is to... Uh, number one, you can disassemble it and just turn the, you know, just, just your AR platform pistol is still a pistol. You can take the stabilizing brace off. Or you can 
uh, go ahead and register it with the ATF. They are offering a no-cost amnesty period. You have to send in what's called an ATF Form 1. You have to tell them that you are registering this because it is it does have a stabilizing brace. They will issue you the tax stamp, and then you'll be legal to have it. Uh, or you can do nothing and risk that uh, hopefully this regulation will ultimately be overturned. Uh, or if it's not overturned, then your possession of it makes you a felon. So those are your three options. You can either you know, disassemble it and not use it. Uh, you can go ahead and register it during the amnesty period. Or you can not register it during the amnesty period, period hoping that the courts will throw the rule out uh, and that eventually it will be declared uh, to be either and uh, de- declared to be either an unlawful act by an agency, or in fact a violation of the Second Amendment, which it could also be ruled as. Davey, your question: If um, so, if people don't do it because they're just not going to do it. They run the. They're okay unless someone finds out and snitches them off to the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms people, or um, that'd be the only way that ATF would know. That, or they, that's correct. Ahead. That's correct. That the ATF would find out either because uh, you either were found to have it in your possession because either a law enforcement officer observed you with it, or perhaps you had it in your car and you got a traffic stop, or somehow you, know, you, you cross paths with somebody yeah. who wants to turn you into the ATF. Uh, so they, they, and the ATF would have the U.S. Attorney's Office prosecute you, and then you would have to raise the unconstitutionality of the regulation as part of your defense. So this is going to get sued over. You said, uh, well, it's going to get sued over. Would the oh, yeah. imposition of the rule be stayed or stopped until it's finally resolved, which is going to be the Supreme Court, I would think? Well, that well, part of any time you sue any, uh, to keep a regulation from going into effect, uh, and it, it doesn't matter what type of regulation it is, if, it, if you're suing to stop a regulation, uh, the the request for a preliminary injunction is always part of the lawsuit. Sometimes it's granted, sometimes it's not. And in fact, using the bump stock issue as an example, uh, a lot of those uh, a lot of those um, injunctions were not issued. So people, in fact, did turn over or destroy their bump stocks. And now that the Fifth Circuit has said that that regulation was not lawful, um, people who had bump stocks in the Fifth Circuit, which is Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, uh, now are basically have been unlawfully dispossessed of their bump stock. And if the Supreme Court agrees with the Fifth Circuit, uh, then that means that everybody who was you know, everybody who destroyed or turned in their bump stock, uh, they were unlawfully dispossessed of it. I don't know if they have a claim against the government. We'll see. There is currently a lawsuit pending against the federal government uh, for a, uh, a dealer, I believe, who destroyed millions of dollars worth of bump stocks. Um, uh, so we'll see how that is. But yes, generally, when a regulation goes into effect, if there is a lawsuit filed, the court has the ability to issue an injunction so that everybody's okay until the issue is ultimately decided by the courts, the courts of appeal, and ultimately the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court agrees to hear it. Well, Sorry. We got we to gotta end on that note. 
Yeah. A little Thank bit of you, a cliffhanger, but it just means that we have another excuse to call you when the Supreme Court yeah. figures up, makes up its mind. Uh, yeah. Edwin Walker, Thank U.S. You. Law Shield, thanks so much for joining us and breaking it down. That's uh, Edwin Walker on Newstalk 710 KURV. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Start your day with news and interviews important to you with the Valley's Morning News. Weekday morning starting at 6. Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan bring you the latest headlines and hourly discussions with AccuWeather to get you ready for your day. And special guest interviews on topics that affect you and your family. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. We're letting you enjoy the show. It's what you need to start your day. The Valley's Morning News with Sergio Sanchez and Tim Sullivan. Weekday morning starting at 6 on News Talk 710 KURV. This is an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. Here's Davis. Something else that uh, will be of interest to you, although it has not happened yet, um, an organization called the South Texas, let me back up, South Texas Independent School District, STISD, you pay a tax um, on it, Uh, it's on your tax statement. Uh, and it was founded, uh, the late Senator Jim Bates got the legislation pushed through to create the South Texas Independent School District to provide special education services to students in, in the three three of the four Valley counties, Cameron, Hidalgo, and Willacy. Uh, but, but when it was uh, later required that kids be mainstreamed, special ed kids be mainstreamed, the... Um, this maybe South Texas Independent School District was not needed for what it was created, but they branched off into doing other things. I guess the fairest thing to say would be they uh, turned themselves into a magnet school. South Texas uh, Association of Schools is advocating a change in the way that STISD is funded, where they get their money. And we'll let Dr. Jesus Chavez, who has been a superintendent, um, I guess a lot of his adult life um, will explain to us what the deal is. Thank you for being with us. Uh, it's good Dr. to be with Chavez. you. So, so tell us what the deal is. Well, uh, as you've indicated, uh, they were created for a special purpose, uh, but they've morphed into a uh, magnet school program. Uh, they're basically funded uh, by by two streams of revenue, one from the state where they receive uh, full state funding, but then in addition to that, uh, they are authorized to, to have a tax of up to $0.05. Cents. And uh, their current tax rate, my understanding, is uh, $0.4.9, cents, uh, which brings in a little over $30 million. Oof. But putting that together, the state revenue along with the uh, tax revenue uh, bumps them up to where they fund uh, uh, each uh, average daily attendance student at uh, 12600 Now, when you compare that to the regular school districts or, or the other school districts in, in these three county areas or in Region 1, you know, there the range is about 7000 to to 7400 And so right away you can see that there's a $5,000 discrepancy uh, or really overfunding uh, for South Texas ISD, and this is where the school districts in the Valley uh, are wanting uh, not to do away with South Texas ISD. You know, we want it to continue, but we want equitable funding, and if possible, also to eliminate the tax on the citizens in these three county areas, 
that uh, South Texas ISD charges. Uh, would that, um, if they did away, if the legislature did away, it would have to be the legislature to do away with their taxing authority, correct? If, if yes, that that's correct. Away, they are a specially created district by uh, legislation. And so in order to change, uh, whether it be the funding they receive uh, or the taxing, it has to be a legislative change. Um, has anyone introduced a bill uh, doing this? Uh, I, I've noticed in the news some local legislators have expressed uh, con um, support for the idea. You got a bill in prospect? I, I do think I do think there is interest uh, by uh, one or more of our local uh, legislators to introduce a bill mm -hmm. that hasn't happened yet. Uh, of course, you know there's drafting to be done. There, there's oh, uh, yeah. checking on the wording that needs to be done. But it is our hope, uh, our association's hope, that a bill is introduced, and that we're able to get support not only on the House side but also on the Senate side. Uh, and of course, you know it's going to take our our local delegation support. Uh, from these uh, three three counties, if, if not more, uh, and then of course for the other legislators across the states to support the bill as well. Tell us about. Well, I should stop and say, Dr. Jesus Chavez is a native of Brownsville. He was at one time superintendent of schools in Harlingen. He's now, I don't know what to call you. He's with the South Texas Association of Schools. Explain what that is, and and. Um, where else did you work as yes. superintendent? So, so, so I am a former superintendent. I was superintendent in Harlingen, uh, Corpus Christi, and in Round Rock. Uh, when I retired, though, uh, a few years later, I became the executive director for South Texas Association of Schools. Uh, and so we have uh, we we serve uh, districts in Region One, which is the Lower Rio Grande Valley, as well as uh, districts in Region Two which is the Corpus Christi, north of Corpus Christi, west over to Three Rivers and, and um, uh, a, few, a few of the other districts that are out there. We have a total of 55 uh, school districts uh, in our membership, uh, and we really serve uh, a little over 3,017,000 uh, uh, students um, from that, that attend these districts. Well, um, obviously, if, if you get a legislator to, I say obviously, if you get a legislator to stick a bill in or get two legislators to stick a bill in you you've got this uh, fraught uh, experience in trying to push the thing through do you have any idea or have they told you what they think the temperature of the legislature is the south texas independent school district have a lot of stroke up there well, I mean, I think I think our, our legislators, uh, you know, listen to listen to all parties concerned, and and uh, so I'm sure they'll be listening to South Texas ISD as well. However, you know, it's our belief that the uh, overfunding creates an inequity, right, and an unfairness, uh, since uh, because of the additional funds, South Texas ISD is able to pay more. Uh, they pay their teachers more. They pay some of the hourly uh, positions more. Uh, and as such, then, you know, mm -hmm. they really are taking away personnel from some of the surrounding school districts. Uh, so it's an unfair competitive uh, advantage that they have that we're trying to address. But we do, we do hope that, uh, you know, through the legislative process uh, with a bill introduced and it going to hopefully the Education Committee, that there's discussion by the Education Committee and that they see the inequity that exists. 
Uh, I think there is uh, a, a philosophy in the legislature right now to try to reduce taxes as much as possible. So we're hoping that that uh, tax reduction is received favorably as well. Uh, however, uh, you know, there's no guarantee that, that this change will happen. Our association is pursuing the legislative change, and so we'll work diligently towards that. Um, when South Texas Independent School District was initially set up by the Texas legislature, was it set up to to uh, levy a property tax, or was it only getting money from the state? No, from, from its inception, there was the uh, property tax. Uh, and of course, uh, back then, you, you, you know, one, one has to remember that they were sorry, serving only special education students. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really allowed for the specialized program that particularly some of the smaller districts were not able to provide at the time. Now, you know, things have improved a whole lot uh, since then. Uh, this was in the uh, mid-1960s. Uh, uh, students have been mainstreamed, and uh, most districts are able to provide, you know, good, high-quality special education services in the home district. So there was no need, again, for those services. And really, illegally, uh, you know, those services have become illegal because of the mainstreaming that is necessary and required under the, the, the new federal law. Uh, so as a result, again, they, they began uh, doing magnet school programs, and they've expanded uh, one of the things mm -hmm. that, uh, you know, we would point to also is that they're mm -hmm. able to build additional facilities uh, using cash, using the, the revenues and, and the monies they have uh, um, in the bank to build new facilities. All other school districts have to go through a bond election. Well, they do not because they do have, uh, you know, such high revenues yeah. and, and cash uh, available as well. Uh, so that's another thing that we would point to. Uh, here, I, I think uh, superintendents and school districts are really wanting just a, a fair shake, uh, you know, where everybody is funded uh, equitably and in the same manner, as opposed to this particular one district in the Valley being being funded $5,000 above everybody else. Yeah, the uh, fact sheet or the, uh, I call it an argument sheet, it'll be misunderstood. The sheet that, uh, the the one sheet that lays out what the facts are and then what South Texas Association of Schools would like to see happen. Um, South Texas ISD can build facilities with cash and has not been transparent about this since voters do not need to approve through a bond election. Now, South Texas ISD has transitioned from services to special ed students to an academic-based magnet and is now turning to a comprehensive school model that includes UIL athletics. That was med Med High, Med Tech, um, right, and Mercedes, that was them? Yes, th th they, they do have those programs. Uh, you know, here recently, I know they built a, a brand new facility in the Los Fresnos um, School District, uh, right just north of uh, the uh, Brownsville ISD wow. border. Um, wow. they, it is my understanding that there are plans to build an additional middle school uh, in that area. And again, these are comprehensive uh, schools, uh, just the way, you know, Harlingen, Brownsville, Los Fresnos has, uh, that they are building. Uh, and so here, you know, fr from, from, um, uh, the superintendent's perspective, from the school district perspective, uh, they in essence have become just a, a regular school district like everybody else, mm -hmm. yet they receive that additional funding, um, that we believe is unfair. Uh, and so I think all that we're seeking as an association is uh, a fair playing field with equitable funding, 
uh, for them just the way other school districts receive so that mm-hmm. there is not that competitive uh, disadvantage that districts face because they're funded $5,000 above everybody else. Okay, so la- last question very quickly. Has anyone from South Texas ISD called you to say, Jesus, what are you doing to us? Anybody, anybody talk to you? Well, you know, Dr. Tony Lara, their superintendent, is, is fully aware of the action that our association has taken. Uh, you know, we certainly understand, uh, you know, his, his position and, and what, you know, what he's got to do. Uh, but obviously, you know, our membership uh, uh, as a mm-hmm. whole has said, you know, we want this to be a priority for the association. We want to seek this legislative change. Uh, and, of course, it, it's one of fairness is, is what we believe. Uh, and, you know, why should a student in Brownsville be valued $5,000 less than someone who attends uh, South Texas ISD, mm-hmm. right? Dr. Uh, and Dr. so that, that's what we're seeking. We're, we're seeking fairness uh, in this situation. Dr. Jesus Chavez, thank you very much. We, we appreciate it. And I know we'll be talking with you again. And stay safe. You're listening to an encore presentation of the 956 Drive Home on News Talk 710 KURV and KURV.com. You're always on the go. Obviously pretty busy. Busy with work. Picking up my kids from school. From work to kids to running errands, your entire day is a hands-on, never-ending frenzy of activity. Luckily, getting the news is now voice activated. Just say, Alexa, play 710-KURB. I'd like to know what's going on in my world. I gotta know what's going on in my city. Putting the smart in your smart speaker. I'm getting my news from you and my information. For the latest news and to find out what's happening in rich, clear audio. Just say, Alexa, play 710 KURB. As long as you're scrolling through your phone, checking out your friend's latest Instagram post, take a moment to download the Radio Parami app. Take the app with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. Stay updated with top and bottom of the hour news and the latest weather forecast. Plus, you can listen live to local talk shows, nationally syndicated programs, and listen to previous interviews you might have missed, all in crystal clear digital audio. It's called the Radio Potomy app. Find it in your Google Play or Apple App Store from your friends at News Talk 710 KURV.